father's love and our worth as his daughters and sons in worship. in Christ. John tells us in John 4, 10 through 12, what love is. And remember, the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, the charge of 1 Timothy is to produce love that comes from a pure heart and a clear conscience and a sincere faith. And so John tells us in John 4 what love is. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he initiated the relationship. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Think about the profound truth that that is communicating. That when we love one another because God loved us, his love is made complete in his body. What a beautiful thing that God has done for us. Let's celebrate that this morning as we sing. Would you sing with me? Praise the Lord, His mercy is more, stronger than darkness, new every morn, our sins they are many, His mercy
Our family really loves Operation Christmas Child because it's a way for us to partner globally with the opportunity to spread the gospel and even have the opportunity to take that to unreached people groups. This really gives me a chance to have a tool in our home that then begins to teach the story, even with my kid, about how the gospel story unfolds, about what Jesus has done for us and how that is the greatest gift we can have. So for us, we gather items year-round. It's not one big shopping trip right before the holiday season. For us, it's gathering things year-round and just trying to understand like generosity and that concept is something that's an everyday concept, especially for a little kid and all the time conversation about everyday things instead of kind of just focusing it on one time of year. I use the time to practice regular skills like sorting and colors and counting. But even in that, we just talk about the big concept that this box is for someone else, so it's a gift. 
and that this box helps other people learn about Jesus. The final thing we do with our boxes is we just pray over them. So in Matthew, Jesus clearly commands us to make disciples of all nations. And so I love OCC because it really takes this three-prong approach that captures what we do here and what we talk about here, and that is evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication. So kids, before they get a box, hear about the greatest gift, Jesus, and the gospel story. And then they receive a box as an example of that gift. And then they're invited back for a 12-week discipleship program. And the multiplication part comes in because they go home and they talk about what they've learned and their parents, their neighbors, and those who they live with begin to learn about the story of Jesus as well. My number one goal as a mom for my kid is to raise a kind-hearted kid who loves others and follows Jesus. Operation Christmas Child and this Chewbox tool gives us a chance to just begin to cultivate that at an early age. And I hope that as an adult, he's someone who loves others, who wants to spread the gospel, who understands generosity in a way of small practical things from a dollar store to big donations to an organization that is reaching unreached people throughout the world. It's super exciting this time of the year around here as we move into um, the first part of November and December during our uh, giving season. And so many of you uh, love to participate in some of those initiatives. And if you're new with us, uh, we feel like God has placed us here in Fayetteville to be a blessing to others, both near and far, both local and global. This is one of our global ways that we connect. And so if you haven't um, seen these or picked one up before, as you go out, you can see them uh, as you go out the doors there. And it's a great tangible way for you to do this with someone in your family, maybe someone that you're discipling or mentoring right now. And uh, it's a great way to express a tangible expression of the gospel along with the message of Jesus. And so um, our prayer is that children around the world would come to faith in him and follow him all of their days because of your participation in this initiative. Uh, we also um, have encouraged you to bring back your Loving Choices, Choices baby bottles um, today, and over the next few weeks, you can still pick those up and bring them back. Um, I was at their banquet the other night, and did y'all know, church family, that there's some amazing things happening as we fight for life here in our nation. There's some incredible things that God is doing, and Loving Choices is on the front lines holistically not only to save babies and to uh, bring life into the world, but to partner with the moms and dads and resource them, mentor them, disciple them, and give them an opportunity to engage the parenting process. And uh, God has just recently blessed them with a, 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 an extra house um, up in Rogers. And, um, and so they're gonna be able to serve a greater number of people. And so um, every penny, literally, Every penny counts um, that you give uh, through your baby bottle. So thank you for your partnership uh, with them. You know, one of the, the cool things that I get to see behind the scenes is our digital team and all the work they put in to give you opportunities to engage on so many levels. And uh, they have just finished a brand new fellowship app. And so wherever you um, uh, go to purchase your apps or access your apps, um, you can find this Fellowship Bible Church Northwest Arkansas app. Um, there's some amazing things on here. One, you're going to have an opportunity to have access to daily scripture readings, um, submit prayer requests. You're going to um, have an opportunity to access our weekly discussion questions that are connected to our teaching, um, keep up with events and news specific um, to, your, to our Fayetteville congregation, and um, just a lot of tools on there to help you mature and grow in your walk with Jesus and stay connected more intentionally with your community of faith. And so we're gonna be highlighting some of those resources the next few weeks, but just know that um, that is available as of today. And then, uh, then finally, in, in light of our series in First Timothy, wanted to note this. Uh, this Saturday, um, I believe uh, Garland and, both, and Michael have mentioned this, uh, Dr. Mark Yarborough, president of Dallas Theological Seminary, is gonna be with us up in Rogers in our training center. And uh, he's, gonna be walking, he's gonna be walking us through the big picture of First Timothy. Uh, lunch would be included. You can find uh, how, uh, a little bit more how to connect and sign up for this on our website. Um, he's going to do a flyover of Timothy in six hours, all right? So if some of you, and we're going to get in the weeds a little bit today, and you need to kind of lift your eyes up to kind of the big picture of the letter, he's going to help us 
do that. And so we're uh, thrilled to have him available. To give you time, just in time to get back down here for the game, second quarter, right? When we're going to be up by 14 at that point. And, uh, and so um, come study with us. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at 1 through 25 and then verses 6, 1, and 2. And so 27 verses this morning. If you're new with us, we walk through books of the Bible together. And we've been studying um, this letter <clears throat> that Paul wrote to his young protege in the faith on how to pastor. Young Timothy, Ephesus is a dark place. This is how I need you to act. This is how I need you to behave. This is how I need you to believe the gospel and in turn to teach others to do the same. Our theme has been fight for godliness. And here in 1 Timothy, we're gonna be, if you have your guides, you can turn. We're, gonna be, we're in week eight or section eight um, this morning of our study. Um, we fight for godliness by protecting sound teaching to fight false doctrine in the church by raising up leaders with character. And then Michael reminded us that every person in this room, um, we must take personal responsibility for our own spiritual discipline and growth. Um, it's, it's part of how we are healthy church members. And when we do this, we're gonna see today that we become this sub-community in a dark world of how the world was meant to be as we honor one another and we care for one another. We live this different kingdom ethic. And if I were to tie these 27 verses uh, together with one word, I would use the word honor today. We honor uh, one another. We treat one another appropriately. We lift one another up. We place value upon one another. Um, we show proper recognition when it's due. You know, our culture does this and we um, we do this with special days of the year where we commemorate or we remember someone's contribution um, to our society, someone who's added value. And so we do this the third Monday of every January as we consider what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, has brought to our society in his fight for civil rights. We remember uh, the value that he's added and how God used him to change the course of our nation in so many ways. Um, we do this when we celebrate uh, Mother's Day and Father's Day as we remember um, our mamas and daddies and the contribution they've made in our life. Uh, we do this in so many other ways. We do it for Memorial Day and Veterans Day as we remember those who gave up the ultimate price. They made the ultimate sacrifice so that we could actually be in here with God's word open this morning. In a few weeks, we'll celebrate Veterans Day. We remember those who are still with us, and we celebrate your service to our country and to our church. We do this at funerals or memorial services where we speak eulogies or a good word. We honor someone who has passed. And though many of you like to roast more than toast, we do this at wedding rehearsals and in wedding receptions where we toast someone, we bless or we honor the couple. And today we see Paul teaching Timothy how to do this the right way with so many different demographics in this young, fledgling church trying to follow Jesus. Consider these different categories of people that he addresses, older men, younger men, older women, younger women, older widows, young widows, good elders, bad elders, bond servants, and masters, all in 27 Verses. And so we're going to do about a verse a minute. Can we do that together? We're going to fly over. We're going to drop in. We're going to sink our teeth into a few of the passages. I'm going to encourage you to read a few of the other ones. But let's get started. If you could stand as we read. And we're not going to read all 27 verses, so don't worry. We're going to read the first three. First Timothy 5, 1 to 3. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Father, this is your word. We stand under it. We're under its authority. We're under you as our king, as the sovereign God over all things. God, direct us, guide us into truth this morning. God, I pray grace upon our 
Operation Christmas Child Initiative. God, I pray that children around the world would come to an understanding of the gospel through this. God, I pray for loving choices, that you would be their provider as a resource, moms and dads all across Northwest Arkansas. Would you be gracious to them? Thank you for this church family, in Jesus' name, amen. Timothy, as you come alongside the older men in the church and young men here in our church family, as you come alongside the older men in our church, when you must speak to them or correct them, don't do it harshly. Uh, Don't censure them severely. Don't correct them in a harsh way, but speak to them out of reverence, out of fear of the Lord, in a reverent, in a way that encourages and exhorts them. Don't publicly shame or privately slander them. Part of how we honor one another, and as he um, identifies different demographics in the church here, is we remember that there are two things that primarily inform who we are and why we're supposed to treat each other uniquely in this family of faith. That we are created as image bearers of God, and for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're now co-heirs in Christ together. Those two things inform everything we say and how we speak to and how we treat to one another in the church. Bobby Duffy has written a, a new book called The Generation Myth. He's an author and professor. And in this book, he's trying to unravel some of the myths about how we talk about one another and how we talk about our generations. Uh, but he says this in a promotion for it. He says, baby boomers, now don't take this personal. I'm quoting him, okay, before you start throwing oranges at me here. All right, baby boomers are portrayed as a selfish generation, who have ruined everything for the young. Boomers, you feel that sometimes? Feel like you're getting uh, thrown a little shade there. Millennials, you're viewed as narcissists, accused of killing everything from marriage to the napkin industry. Gen Z, you're referred to as snowflakes, a coddled cohort scared of adulting. I'm Gen X. This is what he has to say about us. We're the overlooked middle child. One UK journalist noted this. This is so good. My generation is so irrelevant that people can't even be bothered bothered to hate us. (laughs) Well, I hope that in our church, this is how we talk about one another. Um, I hope that this is a place that when we talk about generations, we build up and we don't tear down. In fact, I would say that this church and the reason you're in this room this morning is because of the unselfish generosity of our boomer generation. And I'd like to give them a hand this morning and say thank you for how the pillar of doctrine and life that you've lived and your generosity. And we're in a building that's paid for debt-free, and much of that is due to our boomer generation and your unselfishness. Our millennials have kept us tight and wound into authentic community. Uh, They pushed us in areas of innovation. We're not a super innovative church, but they've pushed us in that area. And those Gen Zs that are afraid of adulting, well, in the last few months, I've seen a handful of them have the maturity to own the Great Commission and find themselves on a plane around the world to take the gospel to places that some of us are fearful of going. I would say they're mature adults, and God is using them in our church, and for us Gen Xers, we just put our spiritual hard hat on every day. We put one foot in front of another, and we're just following Jesus in the nitty-gritty of life, and just practicing the spiritual disciplines. Hey, we, we don't want the attention. We're forgotten. Is that all right, Lance? We're just gonna follow Jesus, right? Gen Xers, right? We're just gonna do the basics here. We don't want the attention, okay? So there's a place for all of us in the church, and when we speak about one another, I thought this was instructive. To the church of Ephesus, Paul says this, and some of you might need to screenshot this as you interact with your family this week, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for the building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. James 1.19, 
You can imagine uh, this type of thought in Timothy's mind. Know this, my beloved, beloved brothers, when you're speaking to the older women or the older men in your church, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So don't rebuke an older man harshly, exhort him as if he were your father, Timothy. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Come alongside the young men in your church, Timothy, and put your arm around them, guide them, show them the ropes, treat them as a peer. With the older women, we treat them like we treat mama, with great reverence and respect, and we protect her. With the younger women, Timothy, as our pastoral team tries to practice this around here, and men here in this church this morning, as you engage with the younger women in our church, we don't uh, treat them with flattery or manipulation. We don't use our words to do that. We don't abuse our pastoral warrant to take advantage of them. In fact, we leverage our place in this space to protect them and treat them with dignity and respect. We treat each other, we honor one another by watching out for each other and how we speak of one another. So we don't just honor one another, but he also um, identifies a very select group of people in our congregation that we're to take care of. And we honor our widows. We turn our attention to the widows of the church. We're to, literally, that, that idea of honor means to give proper recognition to. And it's twofold in this case. If you were in their church and they were reading this letter, they would understand honor is that we give them reverence but we also do, do so through action and intention by resourcing them if they have need. What does really in need? It's interesting descriptor here as he commands them to take care of the widows in their church. What does it mean to be really in need? And there were a few descriptors here that I think are insightful. And it made me consider their context. If you consider a first generation gathering in a home, maybe 25 to 30 believers, multi-demographic, they're in a dark place. Some of them are coming through some um, pretty intense socioeconomic situations since they've become uh, followers of Jesus. My guess is that resources are scarce. And one of the groups of people that seem to have been most disadvantaged were the older widows. These are the kind of widows, Timothy, that we want the church to take care of. The ones who have been left all alone. They don't have family near or around them. The ones who have put their hope in God and have a vibrant prayer life as they depend on him to take care of them. He identifies an age, in, uh, the age of 60. And likely at that age, in their culture, their ability to have gainful employment or provide for themselves was limited. She's a woman of character. She was faithful to her husband when he was alive. She was known for... Her good deeds, she brought up children, she showed hospitality, she, she took care of the Lord's people and those who found themselves in trouble. And so fellowship, I hope that our church is a place where our name is nowhere, our fingerprints are everywhere, and especially in this area of taking care of our widows. And so uh, my challenge to us as a church is who, over the next couple of months, has God put in your life, in your parish, in your neighborhood, in your school district, in your workplace, in our church? Who are the widows that fit this description that we could come alongside and take care of? Uh, there's a, a small group leader in our church, and um, he has a relationship um, through a small group with a 90-year-old widow. And she watches our services. And so if you're watching right now, good morning. Everybody turn around and wave. Say good morning. Yeah. And uh, she watches our services. And then uh, on his commute, one hour um, from work back to home one day a week, uh, they get out the discussion guide. And he has a one-hour conversation with her unpacking the sermon notes and walking her through the passage. And I thought, man, what a great practical way to take care of or invest time um, in a widow in our church. Uh, we had a widower across the street from us, Mr. Bill, a few years ago, and Mr. Bill was in his late 80s, and um, his fence was falling apart. And some guys in my community group, they rallied together, bought the materials, 
And they went over and spent a Saturday just constructing a fence for him, taking care of him. He often liked for me to come over and flip his mattress, you know. And, but he's just mindful of those around you uh, that have needs. And specifically, um, you know, those who have family that are distant or they don't have family, let's lean into and care for them. And for those of you with a widow in your immediate family, he's got instructions for us in this passage as well. Take care of her. But if a widow, verse four, has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice. Do what you say. Do what you believe. Be a doer of the word, not just a hero only by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. Verse eight, he comes pretty strong here. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This new community of faith is supposed to take care of one another and those who've been made new in Christ, not only inside the household of God, but in your own household your immediate family, we're to take care of one another. Uh, we have a widow in our church before our uh, negative 80 degree temperatures um, this past winter when the big snow came in, it felt like negative 80, right? Yeah, um, I called her and I said, uh, hey, uh, I'm running by the grocery store, uh, wanted to pick up some groceries, do you have need? And she said, well, my family that lives an hour and a half away, they've already drop shipped me a week's worth of groceries. And I thought, you know what, they're living the principle of this. They're not in the same town, but they're mindful tangibly to make sure that mama is taken care of. Well, there's a lot of nuance to practicing this. As a, someone who enjoys Bible studies, the questions I would have, and some of you are, are having, I had this in my men's small group the other day. What about nursing homes? Did, any, did that come to mind when we were processing this together? Um, what about um, our elderly parents who can't take care of themselves and how do we manage that in their later years and um, help them pass with dignity? What does that look like and mean? Those are questions I would have as we try to flesh this out. What does that mean? And then what about younger widows in the church? I'm gonna let you read about that in verses 11 to 16. Um, he refers to them, and he seems to be making a judgment call here in this passage to prioritize the older widows. Uh, the younger widows were likely to have an opportunity to be married again um, in their culture and likely to be able to earn some kind of income. And then culturally, he seems to be really sensitive to younger widows who are exhibiting bad character qualities, and those are not the kind of widows that we take care of in our church. It's some pretty detailed stuff here. And so he's trying to figure out how do we best maximize our resources to take care of those who are hurting in our church. Some questions I might have would be, well, shouldn't we help all widows, Paul? What do we do with that? Well, he's trying to give them instruction with limited resources, boundaries on who to help and who to pass on helping. And then we move to honoring elders. So we honor one another, we honor our widows, we honor our elders, especially the one who direct the affairs of the church. Those who do that are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching, he says. The scripture says, and he quotes both Moses and Jesus here, here do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. The honor here, the double honor concept, is not only reverence for the office of elder, the position of elder, but also making sure that they're taken care of or they're compensated well. Uh, uniquely here at Fellowship, our elder board, we have two right now on our current elder board, two staff that serve on our elder board, and they're taken care of through your generosity. Uh, but most of our elders are employed outside the church, and God provides for them in that manner. Okay? But what I wanted to do this morning, and you see their name, this is our current elder board right now, um, this group of men, along with uh, Doug Walker and John Dyer, who are in our congregation here in Fayetteville, um, I wanted to publicly thank them and honor them for their wi wisdom, their discernment, and their bold leadership at a very unique time 
in our church these last 18 months. These men behind the scenes have met more than ever a lot of that praying and asking God for direction uh, during the season in the life of our church. And um, I'm incredibly uh, honored to serve under their authority as one of your teaching pastors here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And so I wanted to give them a hand this morning. If some of you are in the room, I know uh, Joe Ross is one of our current elders. And y'all met him and Catherine a few weeks ago, but they've done a great job in taking care of our church these last um, few months. As we honor elders, we also take their sin serious. And so he walks us through, hey, just as we honor them, be careful about putting them in a position of authority. Um, don't be hasty in doing that. And be careful about accusations that come their way. Specifically, Timothy. Don't entertain an accusation unless it's, it comes by two or three witnesses. The elders who are sinning, you're to reprove before everyone. How do you do that without being harsh? So that others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels. This is a serious thing, Timothy, to keep these instructions. Don't show partiality. Be fair. Don't, don't show favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands of appointing elders and do not share in the sins of others. Timothy, watch yourself. It's dangerous out there. Keep yourself pure. Let's get multiple witnesses. Let's corroborate stories. Let's understand the facts. Let's not slander one another if it's not appropriate, appropriate or someone doesn't have an agenda. He's getting in the weeds a little bit here. But this is how we honor one another in the church. And this is what makes us a distinct community of faith. We not only honor those who excel in character and practice of following Jesus, but we also take one another's sin serious. And we have the wherewithal to come alongside of them and confront that sin and call it out and correct them and bring them back in line to a life that is in line with following Jesus. So we honor our elders, and then we honor our masters. Very unique um, situation they have um, in their culture. Uh, specifically in this verse, 6, 1, and 2, he says, all those who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. The most accurate um, translation would be the word bondservant. Bondservant, those who have found themselves enslaved by a household master because of debts owed. Okay, that would be the most, uh, the best rendering of that word. Someone who, and some even chose to sell themselves into slavery to get debt paid or to have a future gain as a possibility. Um, it's estimated, and this is some interesting stuff I learned as I studied kind of the, the context and the background, as much as one-third of the Roman population in this day uh, were considered bondservants or slaves. The continuum was broad when you consider how they were treated. I think we have to be careful um, not to immediately project um, the brokenness in the sinful way that we treated slaves in our nation's history and just lay it over what was going on then. Now, to be fair, there was some of that going on. Uh, slaves being treated uh, definitely as property um, without any rights, uh, without any concern for their care. And yet there were also slave owners during this time. Uh, they were treated as they would treat their own family. And they found themselves in a great spot in the household care of some of these slave owners. Um, there, this type of slavery that was going on then was not rooted in skin color or ethnicity. In fact, Many Romans had other Romans as some of their slaves. The Greeks and the Jews also practiced this kind of slavery at different times. Some slaves had access to education. Some managed farms and businesses for their household owners. Um, some of them, oddly enough, sold themselves into this type of slavery so they can actually have financial gain and gain status in this network and climb that ladder and gain job security. But this is really cool. As Christianity permeated um, that world for the first two centuries, um, the way slaves were treated changed. 
Um, listen to this. In the first two centuries, laws were put into place to prevent arbitrary death of slaves by wild animals. It was, there were laws put in place to prevent the castration of slaves for commercial use. There were laws put in place to prevent the use of female slaves for prostitution. And then 50%, they say, of slaves in that day were usually freed by the age of 30. And so I think there's a principle here for us of respecting those that we're under the authority of. I think there's a principle there for all of us that we can Apply. I do think it would be a little disingenuous to appropriate our employer-employee relationships in this context, all right? I know some of you may feel like that's true, and you feel like a bond servant, and you feel like you're, uh, you're under the control of someone else in your workplace, but I think the principle is operating, but the nature of having someone else own your body with the access to do what they want to with it is not most of our employer-employee relationships. Paul's concern here seems to be, interestingly enough, not to condemn the practice and also not to condone it through his silence, but just say, hey, this is part of the world we're living in. This is how I want you to follow Jesus. This is how I want you to follow Jesus. In fact, if you have a master who's a believer then serve them even better. Treat them as fellow believers because they're devoted to your welfare. And then he makes this statement. I think it's instructive here for chapter five and the first part of chapter six here. He says, so that, live in this way, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Paul seems to be Concerned that if this church will honor one another, care for one another, defer and walk in respect to authority, that they have a shot at being a light to a dark world around them. The reputation, the name of God and the name of Jesus is on the line and how they handle themselves with one another. Well, one of our desires here at Fellowship uh, Fayetteville is so that every person in the room would become students of the scriptures, and you would grow in your understanding of how to ask good questions. And so as we consider that, uh, these are questions that I'd like you to consider for further study. As we consider uh, the, interpreta- the observation, which is what we've done today, the interpretation application process. If I were to ask you to do further study, uh, these are some questions I might ask. Shouldn't we help all widows? Why is he limiting Uh, certain ages here when it comes to the treatment of widows in the church. And what does he mean by providing for relatives? Is it only widows in our home? Is it mom? Is it dad? Is it sisters? Is it aunts, uncles? What does that mean and how do we play that out? What does double honor mean when we compensate or we honor an elder uh, through compensation? What's going on with Timothy's health? One verse we didn't get to look at was something's going on that Timothy would prescribe wine for him. And what does that mean? We know he's probably um, experiencing stress in leading this young church, but um, what's going on with his health? That would be a question I would ask. And then, again, why does Paul neither condemn or condone the type of slavery practiced in the Roman Empire? Those are interpretation questions I would want to know if we had more time together. If you want more information, Michael and I sat down this week and we recorded an episode of Sermon Notes where we deal with a few of these questions But I would ask you to apply yourself and do more study in this and see that a godly church, if we're going to fight for godliness and express the gospel ethic in this community of faith, we're going to be a church that honors one another. And so I want to give us some application ideas here. Um, Romans 12.10 says that we're to outdo one another in showing honor, okay? So it's as if we can get competitive here about outdoing one another and showing honor. And I wanna give you just five simple ways. You can screenshot this um, if you want to. Five simple ways that we could create a world in this room and in our small groups and in our homes. Imagine a world, if they were to look into our faith community here at Fellowship Fayetteville and they saw this culture of honor. Imagine the testimony that would be given the world that we live in right now that takes that tears down, that doesn't build up, that doesn't give. Imagine the testimony that would be. One way to honor, we saw this through, um, through Timothy as he treats the different 
uh, age demographics in his church through edifying speech, uh, through generosity, not just of spirit, but tangibly by giving of our resources and showing honor in that manner. Uh, through public recognition, it could be that as you're at certain family gatherings or uh, Christmas parties or Thanksgiving gatherings uh, over the, the next few months that you take that time to publicly recognize someone and their character and their contribution to, you, to their life. Maybe you need to write a written thank you uh, to some of our elders that you know in our church and, and give them a gracious thank you for their skillful hand in guiding our church. Maybe there's been someone who has contributed to your development in following Jesus and you need to write them a written thank you and then to walk with respect for authority. Those are all ways that we can honor one another in the church. And so what I'd like you to do is go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes, and I wanna just put some names and faces to this as we try to apply our text this morning. Um, think of someone in your neighborhood, your parish, your family, uh, who's a widow right now? How can you honor her this week? Think of an elder um, that's been particularly gracious to you in your development here at Fellowship Fayetteville. Uh, one of our elders here, be it Kent Martin or Dan Pryor, Mike Robards, Gary Harrell, Joe Ross, Doug Walker, John Dyer, Gary Reniger, Hank Matthews, Joe T. Robinson, and their wives, and how have they contributed um, to your life? Father, we're gracious for the leadership that you put in our life to protect us from ourselves and to guide our church. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to push past our comfort and our convenience so that we would honor well those you've entrusted in our care, one another in the way we talk to each other, but also those that are hurting, the widows in our church, the elders that need to be honored. And God, I pray that you would um, help us walk in gracious submission to those over us in authority structures, um, especially those who are believers, I pray that we would serve them and respect them all the more for that. And we need your grace to do this and to apply an interesting text like today. Go with us in Jesus' name. If you are able, would you stand with me? Uh, we're going to read a prayer together. And uh, if, you're, if it's your first time here or you're not may not be familiar with this uh, idea of reading a prayer together, but uh, this is a great prayer. It's called the Prayer of St. Francis, uh, and the heart of the prayer is that we would put others ahead of ourselves, that we would love others the way that God loved us and sent his own son for us. Uh, and this prayer uh, was probably written uh, uh, by one of St. Francis's followers, uh, and the form that we have today, it's probably a, about 100 years old. Uh, but let's pray these words together. And as you're saying the words, I want this to be our confession, that, that this would be our heart, that we would honor, we would outdo one another in honoring each other. So would you pray this with me? Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith, where there is despair, hope, where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.
sing this with me? You heard the cry of our hearts And you
fellowship. I'm so glad that you joined us to worship this morning. If you would like to pray with someone to my left, to your right, you can go out these doors and go up the stairs or up the ramp, and there'll be someone who would love to pray with you just right there on your right. There's also communion available there. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here, and I pray that this week that we outdo each outdo each other in showing honor and that we love each other the way that God loved us. You're dismissed. <laughs>